0: what's going on my name is rob and this is another episode of film streak and what we're doing with film streak is every episode i'm watching a new film something that's new to me at least i've seen a lot of movies right but there are plenty that i haven't seen and there's new ones coming out all the time so this is my effort to try and watch as much as i can as much new stuff And even catch up on stuff that uh, I've been meaning to watch for a while. Or just things that I've ignored. Uh, Maybe they've been recommended and I just kind of put it off or whatever. So that's what Film Streak is. And if you're listening to this, if you've heard other episodes, thanks for checking this out. Thanks for sticking along with the ride. I appreciate uh, everybody who's listening. And um, let's get started with this episode. And by this episode, I mean I want to do something different we're in October now. So to me, October is the time for horror movies. It just is. You're building up to Halloween, it's like a whole thing. Let's just take the whole month and really get into it, get into the groove. And so here with this episode, I wanted to do uh some interesting pairings, I guess. So let's pick up where we left off. Film streak is now at 135. 135 movies I've watched now. And more. But 135, this is Last Night in Soho. Baby, you don't know what you What brings you down then? On the top floor. It's perfect. I love it. Mine is not if I could live any place and any time, I'd live here in London. In the 60s. In my dreams, there was a girl, and you are Sandy. I got this kind of gift see people places things others can't this is the closest most people ever get to their dreams they're not just dreams jack i don't want to do this you think you could just walk away it really happened what did you see Leaving ghosts. I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still out there. I have to stop him. Where are you going? I know what you did. I've done a lot of things. You can have to be more specific, love. Okay, so this film is one that uh, I was super interested in watching when it was announced and in production because this is written and directed by one of my favorite contemporary directors, uh, filmmakers. Someone who's just got a really interesting style and vision and a real master of technique, if you really think about it. But Edgar Wright just has a real touch for creating not just drama, but action and even comedy and suspense. He's just really a, a modern master of the form. So last night in Soho was a film that I was really looking forward to, and and yet at the same time, because of COVID and pandemic issues, I I, I seem to remember that it just got delayed and it seemed to get pushed back, and it was to a point where you even wondered if it was going to come out. And so now that the film has been out, and I've finally gotten the chance to see it. It's been an interesting watch, just knowing all the background behind the film itself, much less what the film is about and what the end result is. So i say this, you know, there's there's part of me that sees a lot of what Edgar Wright has done in the past and feels like some of it is homage to American filmmakers or Amer- American films Some of it is even really kind of trying to break ground in American film. You know, Baby Driver, I felt like, took what I consider very American genre or type of story, the car chase, heist, crime drama, thriller, comedy, whatever, and just cranked it up to 12 and did things and showed us things that we'd never seen before. And the way it incorporated music and the editing, it it was just really an, uh, uh, an amazing experience to me as someone who loves that particular type of film to see someone really push the envelope and do some new things with it. And so here it is a distinctly British film and story. It's set in London and it's about, someone, you know, a young woman who is growing up kind of, I guess, in the outskirts. You know, I'm not familiar with all of the areas of of London and and so forth, but it's clear about, you know, this is basically a country girl that moves to the city to pursue her education and a career in fashion and fashion design and that kind of thing. And yet, you know, gets hit with, uh, you know, classmates and, and people there that Kind of look down on her, kind of you know just kind of smirk at her, and yet at the same time, the pressure of that of kind of jumping into that environment, your feet first and maybe not really knowing how to maneuver through that also compounded with the external um, the the external elements of the world around her, and maybe some mystery about what she's really getting into. All of that just really mixed into something that I I, I wasn't quite expecting. You know, I, I really, this really turned into much more of a horror film than a kind of a fish out of water, psychological drama. There are elements of that in this, but there are also elements that are straight out of horror films. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of like small little homages and tributes to films from the 60s and 70s, some of the shot choices and and just some stylistic touches that I feel like, yeah, I I see that. That's awesome. You pull in from the masters and making something that fits within your story. It doesn't stand out as being uh, shoehorned in. It really works with what the story is that he's trying to tell. And so this young girl, she kind of gets into this situation where there may be some entity or some mystery of maybe there's a go. It's kind of hard to explain. You have to watch it. But it's also it's high on style because it does involve a little bit of a it's not a time travel story, but there is like elements that this character finds herself back in the 60s and the production design the music everything is just you know top notch but it's also very uh it transports you to the era just so seamlessly and that's the idea because that is what this character is feeling and so with that in mind i thought this was just a really well done film i mean it's 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 just it's amazing in so many ways In terms of its production, in terms of the characters and the performances, I thought they were all great. You know, the only downside or the the thing that really doesn't work for me is it's it's a little hard to understand this world And, and not understand it, but just to relate to it. You know, we're talking about a very specific story about a very specific type of environment that... Not maybe not a lot of American audiences are going to be familiar with. Let's put it that way. The situations, sure, we can relate to, but uh, there's so much that is very dialed into that part of the world and that London in particular that uh, I, it, it takes a little work to get there on, on the part of the viewer if you're not familiar. But once you are, and you really understand it's more about the, the emotions involved and, and the characters and and the dilemma they're facing, okay, now you're on board. So there's just a little bit of a hurdle. But once you get into it, you really go for the ride. It's really great. I really enjoyed it. Now, it's not, it's not necessarily one of my favorite Edgar Wright films. You know, I personally, I still think, at, uh, let me see. I like Shaun of the Dead. I like Hot Fuzz. I think The World's End is probably the best for me. And that's just because of me in particular, my the point of life I'm at, that really kind of spoke to me in some different ways. Uh, also, the time that it came out, it, was, it just really matched up for me. Now, if I watch it today, maybe I'll feel different. But that's the one that really, um, really works for me. So this is a little bit different. And um, it's very specific. And I could see there being another version of this film where it's much more leaning into the horror aspects and maybe even more gory and graphic. But I could also see another version of this where it leans into the dramatic side, where the, let's say, supernatural elements aren't so pronounced or, or even part of the story. And I think it could still work. That's just how well it walks the line to me. So that's a recommendation. Um, check it out, especially if you're an Edgar Wright fan. Um, and if you are, you probably have already seen this. It's my fault that I just really put it off and hadn't gotten around to it. But uh, I'd I'd recommend it. I'd probably watch it again just because I know there are so many details, so many little Easter eggs and little uh, you know treats built into everything he does that uh i'm sure i'll find more and see more and appreciate more on another viewing so that is last night in soho now let's move on let's let's keep this going on the on that same note let's get to 136 and this is the neon demon I see 20 or 30 girls come in here every day from small towns with big dreams. Some girls crack under the pressure. You? You're going to be great. What's it feel like? walk into a room it's like in the middle of winter you're the sun it's everything you know what my mother used to call me dangerous you're a dangerous girl was right. I am dangerous. And now for me, for my money, this is a little bit of a similar story and a little bit of a similar premise, but, uh, and, and also by a filmmaker who has a very distinct style and some signature moves that are unmistakably his own. The Neon Demon, directed by Nicholas Winding Reffin, It's such a bizarre, surreal, magical, disturbing watch. It's, it's hard to say it's a recommendation. I'll just cut right to it. But just for the experience of it, uh, I would recommend at least watching it Once. You may find it's not for you, but uh, it's definitely an experience. And so just to kind of get to the the basics of it, uh, it is a similar thing. There's a young girl who's trying to get into the world of modeling, and in Los Angeles, it's a very kind of cutthroat culture and industry. and you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot more mood building in this than something like last night in Soho, you know, that's really more of a uh, it's a whirlwind of experiences and, and feelings and emotions. And this is just very calm and cold and almost detached. And there's something to be said for that, that there's a power to that. And this film, this story uses it in some pretty smart and pretty unsettling ways You know, the only issue I really have with the film uh, just overall, like just the big takeaway is that the main character is played by uh, Elle Fanning, who, you know, uh, I guess also uh, Dakota Fanning's sister is is a young, started as a young actor and has matured into a very, you know, talented and diverse actor herself. But this role and this character I just felt like this really wasn't maybe the right. I couldn't, I couldn't quite buy this. And it reminds me of, you know, in a previous episode, I talked about, um, uh, I talked about the movie cherry with Tom Holland playing, uh, you know, a young man who, you know, it, it covers a significant portion of his life. He's, you know, going to the military, comes home, he gets into trouble, robbing banks, he goes to prison. It's, pretty big span of someone's life and Tom Holland is really i I think he has the chops but I it's just hard to see past some of the other elements and and maybe the external like expectations you have at least it was for me and so I couldn't really buy him in that part and it's the same thing here really this film this character is is the demand here is that this character has to be so, um so able to navigate the pressure of trying to enter this world of modeling, not being familiar with it, not really understanding how things work. And yet is all of a sudden like a runaway success and people see something in her and she becomes a, a bit of a hot commodity. And, starts to starts to believe it, starts to believe her own hype. And so, uh, you know, it, it's hard to really buy that she makes that turn. And it's through the course of the story that you know, other events are happening and other characters are moving around her. But still, it, it's a little bit of a stretch that it it doesn't quite seem like she makes the turn. It seems like the film kind of takes her with it versus following her on that journey if that makes sense it it's it's a strange it's a strange way to put it i guess but I, I it's just i couldn't really it didn't really sit right with me and i couldn't really peg what it was until thinking about it some more and i just think it's it's maybe just i can't see this actor in this role or at least i see what the i i feel like i see what the idea is this is a character who starts out kind of playing kind of naive and green and becomes very savvy very quickly to the point where she turns things on, on their head, whether it's how she deals with other people or how she deals with herself and how she moves through the world. All of that really seems to flip really fast and, you know, it gets into like where there are there are consequences and things get dangerous. And so that's interesting right there, but I just didn't see this character really doing it. I felt like the story was the, 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 I felt the filmmaker doing the work versus the character doing the work. And, you know, that's real artsy fartsy examination of this because otherwise there's a ton of style in this film. That is to me personally is very, intriguing and very appealing. Like I like the, f- the style of filmmaking. I like everything about the the use of color, the use of light. I mean, it's so distinct. And Nicholas Wadden-Refen, if you've seen any of his other films, Drive is probably the most kind of commercially recognizable film that he's done, I think, to date. Um, but that is very conventional compared to this. You know, have you seen something like Only God Forgives, which I did not like on first viewing, but subsequent viewings I've come around to. I've really understood more about what what he was going for there. And there's even a a, a, a TV series that he put together that's on Amazon Prime. It's called um, What's It Too Old to Die Young? I think that's what it is. Miles Teller, and it deals with. LAPD and Mexican cartels and all kinds of, you know, wild stuff, but it's not maybe presented in the way you would think. It's very slow paced. It's very patient and very calculated. And so, like I said, it's a very distinct style. If you know that, then you kind of know what you're in for. If you don't, this is going to be a little bit of a acquired taste. So it's a recommendation for at least one viewing. After that you decide if it's for you or not. A lot of you may say oh this is a pass. I can't e- I can't even make it through the whole movie. I don't even understand what's going on. Fine, that's cool. That's all good. But uh that is 136 that is the Neon Demon. All right. So that's that first pair. I wanted to do a couple of pairs. Let's let's call them double features if you want. Um that related to You know, newcomers in fashion and in that kind of industry. It's a little bit glitzy, but with sprinkles of horror and suspense and uh, some somewhat disturbing stuff in there. Okay, here, let's get to some more here. Um, This is 137. This is La Llorona. Lo que se quedó atrás, está atrás. Pensás en eso que no te afecte. Oyó a alguien llorar. y cogen y los sirvientes se quieren ir todos tienen miedo este encierro nos está enfermando mi papá te contaba todo te prohíbo pensar eso es una invasión cuando nos irán a dejar en paz Now this is an interesting film that uh, I actually heard about a few years ago you know I do um, I do know that this was screened and and it, it made the festival circuit um, back in I think 2019 you know a film festival that I work with here where I'm at. Uh, actually, screened this film, and that's the first time I had heard of it. And it's funny because also that same year, or shortly around the same time that this was doing the festival rounds, there was another film that was released, like in theaters, made you know, actual broad release called um uh, The Curse of La Llorona or something like that. That is not this film. That is not a great film. I'll just say that. This one, on the other hand, This is a very interesting film because it's taking this. uh, If you're not familiar with La Llorona, it's a, I guess, a Latin American folktale, folklore. It's a myth, let's say. Um, And, you know, depending on what part of either Latin America or or even, you know, here in some parts of America, Mexican American community, there there's different maybe iterations or or versions of this story but uh they're all primarily the same and that is is the story of a of a woman who lo- loses her children and she cries for them out of grief and sorrow and and anger and she cries for them and that cry kind of haunts the living and it's a thing where, you know, you, parents or, you know, people would use that to kind of keep little kids in line. You know, like if you don't behave, La Llorona going to get you. So, you know, you would hear crying or, or like sobbing or something or, you know, uh, it, it's just one of those things that it's really kind of a, it's just a folktale, but it's based in, it's based actually in the idea of real trauma and grief, and so, um, this film, it really kind of backs into that. It doesn't start out as that. And it's interesting because this is a, a film that is, is a Spanish language film. It's directed by a filmmaker. Uh, let's see. Jairo Bustamante, who is a Guatemalan filmmaker. And, uh, I think that's how I say his name, I'm guessing, pretty sure, hopefully. And, uh. Because he's from Guatemala, I, I believe that was the that was kind of the way to get into this story is starting it not about the the folktale or the the legend or whatever, but starting it about the real world situation that's happening in Guatemala, and that is um, that is basically uh, uh, just a a type of genocide that is happening there and a civil unrest that is happening there. And so this film starts off with a retired general or commander who is on trial for genocide and war crimes against the Mayan, the the indigenous people there in Guatemala. And it's not clear, like, how am I, how am I, how are we going to get to this story of this, um, ghost. And as the film goes on, it's it's really a slow burn thing that it's all about building dread. So it can seem like it's a, a little bit of a political or even a family drama because there's this whole court proceeding and this hearing and this trial and when the verdict comes down and there are protests because the the ruling is that there, there was no genocide committed. So now there's like civil unrest in the country and this home, this man who's on trial, he's being just, you know, the, the pressure of a country against him now is building, right. And it's building against him, his family, and also the real internal conflict the the guilt the the remorse that he can't even acknowledge it is inside of him and it's manifesting itself in this presence his servants his um you know housekeepers and all this they they leave they're like we can't we can't do this we can't be a part of this or this this is all too much going on around here so we're out Well, a young girl comes in to kind of help with that and basically become a a housekeeper, a servant in the meantime. And turns out this is, of course, not just any young woman. And this is a more or less physical manifestation of La Llorona. And it's only because of, you know, here's the interesting thing with this film. This is why I think this was a kind of real unique take on this is It doesn't start like a horror film. It doesn't start like uh, with any supernatural elements. It doesn't really start with any like the typical tropes of, okay, now here's where the supernatural stuff comes in. And even when the moments come where you think, oh, okay, here, oh, okay, we're going to have a a jump scare or we're going to have a scary moment or you're waiting for maybe the music or you're waiting for, something to happen that you you would typically see happen in a horror film, you know, the character's about to do this, so you know this is coming next. It leads you right up to that, and then it just backs off. It's like, no, 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 that's not, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something different. And it does it a few times where you realize, oh, okay, they're trying something new here. We're still going to get there. It's still going to be a pretty disturbing and and, um, unsettling experience. But it's not graphic. It's not gratuitous. It, It is just enough to say, like, here's what happens when someone going through this, through these feelings that they don't want to accept, that they actually don't even, that they deny. This is how that manifests itself but now in a very real way by this folktale becoming a reality. And that's where the leap happens for the viewer. You've got to kind of go with that. But once you do, you see like, uh, this is actually kind of smartly put together. It's really well done. And it takes its time doing it. So you don't ever feel like uh, we're just breezing past this and and it's not even really all making sense. It makes sense, but you got to stick with it. So in that regard, I was really surprised by this because I was worried that this was going to be just like straight, okay, we're going right into supernatural things and special effects. No, this really takes a whole different angle to get to this story. And and part of it, I'm sure, is probably, hey, I want to tell this story that will bring some awareness to this real world issue, but also give you a little bit of the the tension and the horror that comes with how this affects people it, on either side of it. The people who did it, the people who carried it out, or the people who suffered from it. And so, I, you know, when you look at it that way, like, okay, this really, this really has taken uh, a, a whole new approach to this. And I don't think every horror film would really work this way. But this was a, a very unique take on it. So it's a recommendation for me. And, you know, I'm I'm only a little ashamed that I didn't see it a long time ago, or I say a long time ago, but years ago when it was making the festival rounds, because this story, the, the story of La Llorona itself is particularly, I don't know, it's just intriguing to me. It's, it's a folktale that I heard about as a kid and... You've seen here and there in in other cultures. Uh, and, and like I said, it manifests itself in different ways. There's different variations on the story. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's something that um, I'm glad someone finally found a way to tell this story that isn't so um, formulaic. So that's a recommendation for me. That is La Llorona. That is 137. Now, here's another one that uh, I'll just say in a very similar fashion starts out as one thing and you kind of expect it to be a certain type of movie, a certain type of story. And is actually much deeper, much more heartbreaking and also ends up being a very different kind of movie than what you thought you were getting into. And that is 138, Hereditary. Come on, Peter. Here's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. Grandma, you know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. But she was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God, what's that? You just oh. you? She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's going to take care of me? You don't think I'm going to take care of you? But when you die. She wasn't altogether there. At the end. Don't want to put any more stress on my family. Now, I have to say, I did see Midsummer first, and if you're not familiar, Midsummer was uh, another film that came out um, a few years ago. It's directed by Ari Aster, and this film was his first film. And I somehow skipped this one, went straight to that one. And that, as much as a <laughs> as a disturbing experience as it was, was still, uh, you know, maybe part of it is because the story takes place somewhere else. And it's basically about, you know, some American kids being thrust into this very odd and weird and disturbing culture, or let's just say cult. Um I I looked at that film one way. This, on the other hand, uh this is about a somewhat typical American family, I say. Um, you know, uh, uh a couple and their two kids, a teenage son and a younger, you know, teenage daughter. Um and it starts off with the the mother, the woman played by Toni Collette, which does amazing stuff here, stuff that really uh, it gets you right in the gut. Some of the work that she does, some of the the performing here is just it's just off the charts. It starts with her character her her character's mother dies, so the beginning is a funeral, and I'll tell you. If you've listened to any previous episodes, you understand that that really hits me in a very distinct and impactful way right now. And even some of the speech that she gives and even some of the sentiments that are expressed. um, It hits home. And so watching this character go through this grief and the process of trying to just trying to deal with the loss. I I, I feel it. And the way that Tony Collette plays this, it really comes across. Now, that's just the beginning of the film. You know, this story really does go into places that are deep into what happens to family when tragedy strikes and what happens to parents who lose connections with their children. And how do you try to resolve that? How do you, how do you try to find a way through that? That's all the the deeper thematic stuff on top of that though, what you're seeing on screen is honestly some really disturbing shit. And so I'll just, I, you know, I won't surprise because there's a giant thing that happens in the middle of the film that really turns the whole thing into a, a whole new, a whole new experience. So I won't, I won't spoil that as much as I want to talk about it. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm saying. If you haven't, you got to watch it because there's something that happens that it is so like jaw droppingly shocking. You would. I just sat there with my mouth open when it happened. And it takes everything that has been building in the first, you know, part of the film and just launches it out into the atmosphere. And you just don't know where we're going next. And I'll say by the end of the film, Oh, we definitely go places. It really gets wild and it gets into some really dark and unsettling stuff. So it's definitely a recommendation from me. I'll tell you right now, just we haven't even gotten very far in this. But out of all these films, this is the one that really uh, it's it hit me the hardest and it is just the most impactful. So that's 138 Hereditary. I'm sorry, I want to talk about it more. But, you know, you've seen the film, you know what happens. And I can't really I don't want to talk past that. I want to let you experience it. So check that one out if you have time. Okay, so these next two, here are the next two I want to talk about. This is a different pairing. We're going to jump back in time. We're going to go back to the 80s. And here we're going to look at some films by a couple of filmmakers that have gone on to do some really big and and much better stuff. Uh, But we're going to jump back to 1983. And this is 139 on Film Streak. This is The Keep. On June 3rd, Paramount brings you a motion picture event, The Keep, presented at selected theaters in 70mm and 6-track Dolby Stereo. The Keep brings together no less than 14 Academy Award nominees and winners for technical achievements and special effects. Michael Mann directs this startling vision of mankind's ultimate challenge, The Keep. At this place. Who oh, no, knows for sure? Release really something did you find what you were looking for did you expect to find me what are you whatever kills us gets in anyway nothing we do no security works Here's a film that uh, I didn't even realize this was directed by Michael Mann. You know, Michael Mann has gone on and and is really kind of one of the top filmmakers, American filmmakers, in terms of uh, crime dramas and thrillers and that kind of thing. Very adult fare, you know, very mature subject matter about uh, criminals and cops and, you know, the lives of of the two and, and basically all the intricacies of those, right? So here's a, here's a look at something that, uh, I mean, this was his second film. This was a film that, um, is, uh, takes place in World War II. It's about some Nazis who mistakenly uncover this tomb, this keep, uh, that houses this demon, I guess that is kind of laid dormant for, you know, centuries or whatever, you know, the the whole premise just seems so un-Michael Mann-like. You know, this uh, religious, supernatural, horror-based story. And it's, I guess it seems clear now that, yeah, this really isn't his lane. You know, he never made another film like this. Uh, I think right after this, he kind of returned back to what he was doing or going towards with Thief, his first film. And went and did Manhunter, which has some elements of horror and suspense in it, but not something this far fetched. And you know, it's not to even say that this is a bad premise. Um, you know, the the you can see there are touches of good ideas in here and some really interesting uh, cinematic, uh, let's say, depictions of of what this demon and what this um, story you know could look like i just think one maybe 1983 It just you know the the effects the type of visuals that they were going for it just really wasn't there yet but also um you know if you read a little bit about the history of the film and and the making of it um clearly it was a, a little bit of a troubled messy production and i think that just comes across you know it feels messy, it looks messy, it sounds messy. I mean even you know the audio and some of the editing is just really it's not very tightened up. And so it's really hard to look past that, you know, when you're going for such a kind of high concept, uh fantastical premise, you got to have the other stuff nailed down or it's really hard to kind of get there. And so here's one that, you know, I would say it'd be, I, you know, if I would have seen this back in the day, if I would have seen this when I was like 12 years old, I might have a whole different experience with this film and, and, and an appreciation for this film. But watching it now and with so much that has developed in terms of filmmaking and, and storytelling is just really doesn't cut it. And so it's a pass for me. Uh, it's a real shame. I like Michael Mann's films. I like all the stuff he does. I like the, the style of the way he tells his stories, but this one, mm, it's just a, it's just not a good match. So that's a pass for me. I'm just going to move through that one fast. We're going to kind of get our distance and we're going to move on. Okay. So we're going to move on to 140 on film streak. This is near dark. From his shoulders. Do it. fast. All right. The time's roll. Woo! No. He might as well just kill me then too. Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We'll give him a week to see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I want to kill He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. It's 3 hours short for a bus to get home. You help me out? What are you on? I believe me. I told you. Just don't think of it as killing. Amen. 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 Don't think at all. It's just something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question. I'm nervous. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. I your boys fall in with control. Check out time. You bought yourself some time, son. God damn it's is my family, let us go! Near dark. Ah! Daylight The night has its price Now here's a film by Catherine Bigelow who of course Went on to do some Some interesting work and Won Oscar for The Hurt Locker uh, First woman to win Best Director which was You know much Much appreciated and much uh, Much needed but, uh, also much deserved. And, you know, I think this one is, uh, it's basically the story of, um, a young guy who lives out in the Midwest and he kind of runs into this band, this, this group of roving vampires that, um, you know, he builds a relationship with them, but it's a little bit testy, you know, they kind of don't, Bring him in, and then they do accept him, and then there's a issue of his family and the world, you know, the people they run into on their travels, and you know, how these kinds of people or these beings, let's say, can somehow survive in the real world. And for a film that came out in 1987, I feel like it does some pretty good stuff in here and where you would think oh they probably would have cut corners on this type of story or or even like some of the effects, you know, the 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 makeup work and all that. They 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 try to do the best they can and it it comes off for the most part. Some stuff that's a little spotty, but you know, the performance, I'll tell you what. Here's the thing that really got me. The performances here, there are a couple of standouts, you know, um Bill Paxton, the late Bill Paxton, he really pushes this character um that he plays into some interesting territory that's playful, but it's also menacing. And it's it's something that I don't really feel like we really saw out of Bill Paxton in any other films, or at least none that I can think of. You know, a lot of times he either played like kind of like a good old boy or just a very kind of uh, angry, kind of, you know, uh, uh, testy kind of guy. But here he's like just an actual delightfully disturbed villain. Lance Henriksen plays kind of the leader of this group. And he's just an interesting figure to me because I feel like this character could have been so dour and so um, intimidating. And yet there's a little bit of a warmth, but also a little bit of a danger. And so he really gives it some range. And I think that's really interesting because um, it could have been one note, but it does feel like this is a guy who is trying to keep these crazy vampire characters in line somewhat. But also he realizes that they live a very different type of life. And so he's trying to introduce Caleb, you know, the young man into this life and what it means to be this. I would say, you know, this one, this is the opposite for me of The Keep, right? If I had seen this movie when I was like 12, 15 years old, I would think this is probably pretty high up on one of my, on my vampire lists, right? Um, haven't seen it now. I, I get why there's some appreciation for this film as kind of a vampire, um you know, uh, not necessarily classic, but one of the, the that string of films in the eighties that seems to have kind of live on through nostalgia or whatever, you know, feelings people have about it. This is one that I, I actually have a appreciation for, even though I am not familiar with it until now. And uh, I'd say a lot of it has to do with the production design, some of the filmmaking, but the performances are really what kind of nailed this for me. You know, the main character at Caleb is played by Adrian Pasdar. I, I don't, you know, I do not really have a feeling one way or the other about it. I feel like the character is a little too naive about a lot of things. And it's, it's almost like, is this a world where nobody has ever heard the word vampire? I do not even know if it's really said in the film. I can't remember, but you know, that's always a little bit of a problem because it's like, well, we, that's the world we live in. If this is supposed to be in the real world, how's nobody ever heard of what, it, it, there's there's a good portion of this movie where this character doesn't realize what's happening to him and doesn't realize why this girl bit him on the neck and why he's feeling weird and getting sick and feels like he's dying and then he feels like he starts to have the hunger or whatever yeah it's like guy read a book watch a movie there's a thing called vampires that's what you're becoming so there's a little bit of that where i'm like uh i i I'll give it to the movie because I feel like I, I understand it's going for a bigger a bigger story to tell. The sense of like someone who's tr- trying to find their place and, and where they belong and who they belong with and, and spread across all these different characters. It's an interesting way to come at it. Um, it's not so graphic in, in the horror film sense. It does have some. It does have, have some violence in it, and it's more about some shootouts. And when they do have to feed, it gets a little bit, you know, it gets a little bit rough for some people. But um, ultimately, it's actually kind of, I, I would say, honestly, a little bit tame by let's say today's standards. But uh, it's still an interesting watch, and there's some stuff in here that I'd really, I, I want to watch it again and see if I pick up more and, and have a even deeper appreciation for it. So that's a recommendation for me. And um, Near Dark, um, it's one that uh, I, I, I feel like I just don't know if people have really seen this film. That's a weird thing to say, I guess. But I feel like for me, it totally slipped under the radar. I had really never heard of this film until about a year ago. And so, you know, watching it now and in this context, uh, I can actually look at it and see like, oh yeah, there's some, there's some good stuff in here. So in that respect, give it a watch, check it out. And so, all right. So look, Hey, that's been another episode of Film Shriek. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking this out. You know, I've got some other horror movies on deck that we're going to talk about in the next episode. But um, these are these are the maybe the lighter fare. <laughs> Not all of them are easy to watch, but this is a, we'll get into some heavier stuff, okay? But in the meantime, uh, again, thanks for checking this out. Check out some pa- past episodes or previous episodes. Um, you can subscribe if you're just finding this on your Apple Music or whatever. Uh, go to filmstreak.com. You'll be able to find other stuff there. Um, you know what I'm even thinking about doing? I'm thinking about, so one of the things I do with this podcast, right? Every episode, I talk about these films, and I actually have a list that I put together. I started from the first episode, but I've been keeping a list on IMDb of every film, including my rating, including the, you know, the order, roughly, that they're in in every episode. I've been thinking about sharing that and making that public, because I feel like, well, if you've seen... Uh, some of these films, maybe you have your own rating of it on IMDb. Maybe you want to add it to your list. Um, Maybe that's a good way. Is that a handy way? Do people use IMDb like that? Uh, I don't know, but uh, let me know if that's something you're interested in Um, or, you know, Hey, if you have some takes on these films or you have some other suggestions or other films, maybe we could talk about here. Just send that to comments at filmstreak.com. And I'll check that out. I'll read that. Uh, If you have some films that are something I haven't seen before, I'll put it on my list. I'll watch it. So, all right. Until next time, take it easy and uh, keep watching those movies.